Uh, welcome to Dead in Goal. Uh, I'm Jeff Santanera, your uh, co-host in uh, Rugby League, and my co-host in uh, Rugby League uh, here again, James Smith. Uh, how are we today, James? I'm very well, Jeff. How are you going, man? Not too bad, James. Early November, uh, the start of the period, which is the 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 time in in any sport which we like it the most when players sign to new teams which as far as i can tell in, in our modern sporting culture is more entertaining than the results of games yeah <laughs> oh, now you're not wrong because um over the years i mean not that we've been groundbreaking breaking news journos but you do get to talk to journos over the years and um a lot of the daily ones will tell you that the most popular stuff that they write absolutely is the is is the player signing stuff it is just I, I like that it's so refreshing it's it's not scandalous it's it's like really gets cuts right to the bone for the fan doesn't it like yeah, but, but who's going to be playing for us don't you think it's a little wrong that it actually it gets more attention now than the results of actual games like we play the game to find out who wins and yeah, people care with uh, with their eyeballs, which I guess is the measure of everything in uh, in modern life. People care less about whether their team won the game or not, uh, if you know, as to whether they've signed, you know, kind of the guy who will be like the fifteenth man on their team. It's it's, it's legitimately true. It, our traffic I, numbers uh, tell us this all the time. Yeah, it's because um, what it is is, especially with rugby league fans, for some reason. We all think that we're smarter than the people running the game and running our teams, <laughs> and we all th- and we all have that inner kind of administrator in us, yes. where we're pretending to sit back and say, "Why don't you sign this player? He'll be wonderful." Or let's get rid of him. He, he's the one to blame for all the all the losses that we've been having. And I think, yeah, that 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 in itself explains a lot about league fans. Um, we we just all think that we're smarter than the people in charge and we love complaining about letting go of a player. Now, the thing that I love as well, it's like, um, it's like, like romance and a, and a relationship breaking up. As soon as a league fan finds out that a player has signed with another club, the reaction is, Oh, we'll, we'll be fine. He can go. Like it's I've always find, found that so fascinating. It's just this blind loyalty to, to a team that, all of a sudden they turn on a player that leaves, leaves the club. Mm. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. You're quite right about the culture. I think the fantasy fantasy football uh, has poured, uh, re- or fantasy sports in general, has poured a real accelerant uh, on that. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting, though, if we think uh, this is a modern phenomenon, uh, and diving right into our first segment here, James is uh, continuing look back through the pages of uh, Big League, to some uh, some uh, thirty five years ago, that uh, <laughs> this wasn't this really isn't a, 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 a new phenomenon. Um, you have you, you dug up quite an interesting story about the, the about the nature of uh, signing and resigning, and uh, I don't think they called it list management back in those days. But uh, it's this is effectively what the story is about. Oh, I did see it, and 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 uh, like believe me, I did. Uh, about five seconds of searching for this story because <laughs> we were uh, pulling back the curtain. We were looking for a, a bridge between the intro and, and this segment, and we found one. Um, I'm looking at the – so this is a series that um, we started called 1986 uh, last last week, and it's me looking through big leagues from that year. And this one is um, – this one's round 17 big league from 1986. It's got 
Cliff Lines on the cover, but yeah, there's a, a story that I found within five seconds about the North Sydney Bears. Uh, so this is roughly a bit over halfway through the season, and, and the headline is "Happy Bears Sign on the Dotted Line," and the um, the opening sentence of the story is North Sydney have signed their entire first grade side until the 1987 or 88 seasons uh, in a massive mid-season signing spree. And the first thing I said to you after I read that was, why don't all clubs just do that now? Like it would just, (laughs) it would would solve a lot of problems, wouldn't it? But obviously, okay, I want to know what happened in 1989 with that squad because they all would have, all 90, um, the, the Tigers proved that, you can't have everyone signed until the same date because all these players have the same managers. They they do what happened with the Tigers. Um, yeah, isn't that interesting though? Like, it's- so uh, were they they were signed beyond the one season? Was it, or is it through um, they were signed through eighty six for the eighty seven season? Was that uh, um, was or- that the, the, yeah, that that sentence is um, until the nineteen eighty seven or eighty eight seasons? So yeah. Um, yeah, that, so obviously I'd say a large chunk of the squad would have been signed till 88. There'd be a, a few Bears tragics out there who, who remember this time well. But um, So you're trying to say their immediate motivation to like, you know, to play well was, uh, was out the door because they were all secure in their contract status. Good point. <laughs> Beyond the year. That's I a guess, really good I point. guess they could have all been dropped, but, you know, um, that's, you know. <laughs> I thought nothing motivates a sports person uh, quite like the threat of you know having their having their contract torn up, but uh, yeah. you know but well, it's kind of, it's kind <laughs> of the I think modern loose managers you know you mentioned you asked you know why don't, didn't they do it that way I think they would think quite the opposite they always like a they always like a bit of churn don't they they like a, a chunk of uh, players coming off and uh, a chunk coming so they could kind of move new guys uh, in but uh, and yeah kind of hold the Hold the uh, kind of the, the guillotine over the next <laughs> of the guys who you know who are seeing kind of their tenure uh, run out. But um, yeah, and, and different, and different. Obviously, really- yeah, different game back then. Still, in a, in a lot of respects, semi-professional. Uh, probably were signed with you know kind of um, yeah for. Yeah, kind of the, the contract terms were like a steak and a couple of beers at the Crow's Nest Hotel. So. <laughs> Maybe, maybe I'm just quickly looking through it. Um, it doesn't mention anything about that, but yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, so like um, just like you know, like there were. I know, I know. Do you recall? Like, um, I uh, only was really started reading the rugby league media until uh, very soon after that, the early '90s, where a hundred thousand dollar, the first hundred thousand dollar deals were coming into into the league. Like, do you remember anybody kind of really being on kind of big salaried money already by the late 80s? Not really, no. It just, yeah, as you say, it wasn't that sort of game. Mm. Like, these blokes were garbos. They were, and and, heart, and partly because they were fitness sports and, and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, no, it just wasn't, um, it w- wasn't that sort of game. Like, even a bloke like Gary Jack, I, I've, I've interviewed him before and, and he said, if if you got enough money out of footy to help you with your first mortgage, then that was pretty much you were the top, top of the tree. That was that was all you could hope for. And and if you got there, you were so grateful for that because 
what a bonus in life to be able to play this awesome contact sport. But no, no, there wasn't. Are there any players mentioned in that Bears story in terms of what they uh, what they signed for, or at least um, yeah, kind of who was on who was on the best terms that were offered? Not really, no, um, no. Uh, the, the only the only names I can see about halfway down is uh, the off season build up of player strength has seen has been a huge success with players like Les Kiss, oh, uh, Brett French, Fred, Rick, favorite of mine, Les Kiss. Yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. Clayton Friend, Mark Cannon, Gavin Jones and Marty Bella being instant hits. So they obviously wanted to hang on to those guys. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it's – I don't know. I, I don't even know how rich or poor Norths were back in the day. Um, it's just a, it's a, it's a massive show of faith, isn't it? And it, and it, and it did pay it off because a lot of them hung around and they um, obviously missed the – I think it was the 91 grand final by – only a Daryl Halligan bad day at the office with, with, with his boots. So, mm. you know, that they hung on to the right players um, anyway. Um, I just I just didn't think players did that back then. I didn't think they they signed. I thought they just agreed to to um, th- there would have been some sort of contract involved, mm. obviously, but I, I didn't think they were signed en masse like that. It's, a, it's actually the first I've ever, ever heard of um, anything like that. Mm. Um yeah, interesting, eh? Uh, what are the other highlights uh, of this uh, of this edition, James? Oh, nice one. Yeah, so um, so as I said, Cliffy's on the cover. Uh, first a splendid story, picture uh, of Cliffy. We'll have to post that uh, <laughs> that out again for uh, the uh, the very solid core of, uh, of 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 Cliffy fans that uh, oh. listen to this pod. <laughs> I remember. I remember we did that um, listener question, as it was called back in the day. And it was mentioning no, we had, we called for favourite Indigenous players, yeah. And oh, we got so many responses; it was fucking crazy. It was a couple of hundred responses, and Cliffy was half of them, I reckon. So, mm. um, yeah. So big story. Halfway through in '86, in big league, was more seats available in the new Churchill Stand. Um, the New South Wales Rugby League is awaiting the completion of the Clive Churchill Stand before selling extra reserve seating for the. 1986 Grand Final. <laughs> so, um, we're only talking about the Green Stands being moved at the SCG last week, weren't we? Mm, yes, indeed. Um, uh, origin wrangle quickly settled. Um, God, that could be a headline. For, that, that could be a headline from any year in any decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got to they got to sort out this eligibility stuff. <laughs> this is in 1986. Uh, the Australian Rugby League chairman, Ken Utherson, settled the dispute between several Sydney clubs and the QRL this week. Um, the dispute followed a request by Queensland to stand down Sydney-based players in the Queensland State of Origin side from their Winfield Cup matches this weekend. So there, was, so there wasn't a automat- an, an automatic, you don't play this week because mm. you've got Origin, but they were still playing their players the week the week of origin, <laughs> so the QRLs asked them to um, ask them to give them a rest. Um, uh, North Sydney and Manly um, objected to the request and asked the ARL to settle the issue. Um, so they, <laughs> uh, without boring everybody, um, yeah, they must have sorted it out somehow. What else happened? Jack Tackle uh, stopped Big Eric in his tracks. Uh, Gary Jack, this is the one I wanted to have a yarn about. Yes, indeed. Has pulled off, has pulled off the televised tackle of the year. And yeah, you asked last week, you know, what, what are the 
what sort of an exercise like this, you know, looking back at a, at a magazine that was printed in 86, like what big differences um, it, it highlights uh, in, in each sort of time zone. And I forgot to talk about television because you couldn't actually see every game like you can these days. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, pretty much like on, on a Sunday afternoon, the only game you saw of, the only snippet you saw was, was of the news, how they do around the ground sort of wrap up. Mm. And it'd be it'd be someone sitting in the stands with a video camera, recording all the tries. <laughs> yeah, so you, you really didn't get a, a full glimpse of, of of all the all the games. Um, and now we're so spoiled. Yeah, yeah. I think we have to remember is it's also a relatively recent phenomenon. I can remember that um, that yep. part of the 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 arguments that were going back and forth during the Super League was that. Uh, there, are, there was a lot of complaining about the inadequacy of, of Nine's coverage because you know they had uh, was it the Sunday game that wasn't live? Yeah, it, it was. Um, it was on at six o'clock, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Up till six or something, and they showed one hour package of it. Exactly. And so, hated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there, yeah, there was, there was always there, there was some dissatisfaction around the TV product, and one of the the arguments that um, that news was making was that we're going to put everything on TV, or you know, we'll have the capacity to put everything on TV. And I guess to some people that <laughs> that is a while ago now. It's a quarter century. It's probably you know their, their lifespan. But um, you know, to think, yeah, yeah. In terms that you know, we weren't seeing every match on TV as little as you know, as twenty years ago. That's really not that long a time to have you know have had that level of attention yeah, for uh, f- uh, for the for the sport. It's it's amazing, kind of one of the things that uh, that we tolerated, and yet kind of uh, yeah um, didn't really kind of kind of uh, cramp our fandom, <laughs> encroach upon our fandom in any way. Yeah, isn't it? Um, maybe it's exactly. the opposite. Let, let it let it let us grow in our imagination, and that is almost one of those things that uh, that uh, I think uh, the magazine is trying to say is it trying to imply there that um, you know to see it on TV kind of uh, is is a spectacle a spectacle in itself. But like the great stories are that you know oh this tackle kind of like. Let, literally took his head off. His head went flying into the into the Churchill stand. <laughs> oh, but oh, you weren't here, so you didn't see it. You didn't see it. So come come to the games. You have a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, can, can I can I share an anecdote about? Oh, of course, um, Noel, Noel Kelly. Yeah. So the the men of league ball has exploded into this ginormous annual event. But um, I, I, when I was at big league in 05, um Myself and Neil Cadigan, the editor, went along to the second Men of League ball, and it wasn't even a ball. It was just a. It was one of those lunchtime gigs that you go to, where they got buckets of coke, coke and water, and and um, and beers. You know, and depending on what sort of afternoon you want to have, you, you grab whatever, and you got the buffet meal and stuff. And I'm, and I'm sitting next to Noel Kelly, and uh, and I said, so this is back in 2005. Um, I said, Noel. Oh, sorry, probably called him Mr. Kelly because I was so petrified of him. Well, that is, would, that is proper, call him Mr. <laughs> exactly. Kelly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, God Kelly, Ned, yeah. Um, this would just be about, just about be the best year of rugby league ever, wouldn't you reckon? And he said, oh, mate, back in our day, the games weren't televised. No one saw it, no one saw anything. It was good footy back then. I've never forgotten it. It was best talking down from a football player I've ever gotten. <laughs> and it's so true. Like, like you know, 
we just had Norm Proven pass away and all we've gotten of his era is black and white mm-hmm. snippets of of you know a different a different world. Like it was the same world, but we that, that, that's the only lens that we have to to analyze it, isn't it? So yeah, bloody television, see what it does. It uh it skews our 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 view on things. Um got another good one. This is unrugby league related, but I mentioned this on Twitter ages ago, this, this story from this particular magazine, and it's a competition, um, and it was for a $5,000 Wang computer. Um, <laughs> $5,000. How good was this thing? Back in 1986. Mm. Oh, man, Wang computers. <laughs> it, must just been a, it must have just been a time machine or something. Or, yeah, amazing. Um, Big League has been swamped with entries for the fabulous Final Five contest. And what you did, there's an entry form. Um, all 13 teams are listed. You tick which ones you think are going to make the Final Five. Uh, it says, um, our mailman, Clive, has been working overtime delivering the entries, which flooded in during the first week of the contest. Yeah, and it's, it was a – and that's not a Wang computer. What am I talking about? It's from um, Alpha Microcomputers. Um, disappointed. I really was, I was hoping it was Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry to our humans out there living in 1986 dimension. I've um gave you gave you the wrong information there, but uh it's great. That's um an actual magic sort of uh segue into uh which w- what the poster was, and it must have been a cross promotion, surely, because uh the poster or the pin-up this week was uh the Alpha Micro sponsored Balmain Tigers. And it's just this poster is as magnificent as what you think it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's got they're all there. It's it's fantastic. I'll um I should post that up. Um, the the last thing I wanted to do from this edition though was I just wanted to selfishly go through the uh, team lineups for um for this Penrith versus Canterbury game um, at Penrith Park on Sunday, 29th of June. Um, so round seventeen, Penrith was. Rob Robards, David Green, Brad Izzard, Ben Gonzalez, David Lydiard, Greg Clements, Greg Alexander, Gary Howell, Chris Horton, John Cartwright, Matt Goodwin, Roy Simmons, Daryl Broman. Mm. Um, and, the, and the Bulldogs were Phil Sigsworth, Peter Mortimer, Andrew Farrer, Chris Mortimer, mm. Steve O'Brien, yeah, Terry Lamb, Steve Mortimer. A few Mortimers in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the forwards... So. <laughs> Paul Langmack, Steve Folks, David Gillespie, Peter Kelly, who I think uh, I think would end up at Penrith, uh, Billy Johnston, Paul Dunn, and Peter Tunks mm. was wearing jersey number forty. So just what how many superstars in, in that in that in the whole game? Like mm. yeah, just bruising. Like no wonder they were so feared and, and such tough work to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there you go. That's another window into nineteen eighty six. Thanks to Big League. Well, not thanks to Big League. Thanks to me for going out and <laughs> spending X amount of dollars on a on an old magazine. <laughs> are you going to tell? Uh, are you going to tell that story about how you that uh, how you bought your first Big League? That was really entertaining. That edition. That edition <laughs> was the first one. The first Big League. Just after I started being interested in in rugby league, um, mid eighties. Thanks for that, James. And uh, yeah, uh, on on the subject of commerce driving the universe, as alluded to before at the top of the show, we are indeed in the period where players are are heading out 
trying to uh, find a new contract, get a, get a new wage, oftentimes uh, at a new club. Uh, and uh, this uh, seems like a very active, very vigorous period. I read uh, there's a very large number of uh, players off contract for uh, 23. And it seems this uh, this recent uh, this most recent signing period uh, was inaugurated with uh, some uh, kind of shots really fired from the bow, courtesy of uh, one of the courtesy of Wayne Bennett, uh, kind of in grand old man uh, of the game guys, where he kind of put it on the agenda, uh, and I think it, it came from a very kind of concerted place as the newly appointed coach of the Dolphins that uh, that Wayne suggested uh, that um, that a rookie draft for the NRL should be considered. We've seen this uh, come along repeatedly uh, over time in uh, in the league. Uh, uh, one such um, kind of thought bubble floated up uh, as little as uh, as little as a few years ago, twenty fifteen or sixteen, I believe it was, when uh, Shane Richardson. Came to work in uh, in HQ. Um, we know that um, there was that celebrated uh, case back. Was it the late eighties, early nineties? Uh, Sean Garlic, the challenge to um, to uh, a system uh, that would distribute kind of uh, league aspirants to certain clubs. Uh, Terry Hill as well, wasn't it? Oh, it was Terry Hill was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, there might have been a Sean Garlic one as well, but. Yeah, in any case, um, uh, uh, legal challenges that were successful and have uh, kind of prevented, uh, have been one of the real stumbling blocks to getting uh, a system over the line um, uh, ever since. Um, in addition to the fact that there really is, uh, there's no real consensus o- on this at all. And in, in fact, just kind of uh, reading the variety of takes that have come out in the in the days since um, Bennett kind of... Uh, uh, put the put the idea back out there. There, there really is kind of uh, kind of widespread, I'd say, disagreement about whether this is a is a good idea or not. I got to I got to admit, James, I'm really yeah, I, I'm really equivocal about the issue. I, I'm really not sure, which is kind of unusual for me on on things like this. Uh, I've been I've been able to take in the diversity of opinion on this and. Uh, you can fi- find myself kind of being swayed uh, every which way. The classic case of, you know, the, if, if I was at League HQ, probably the last person who got in to speak to me would probably be the one that wins because <laughs> <laughs> I could find myself being being convinced in every direction. But, uh, you know, kind of generally, what are your thoughts uh, about this you know, kind of NRL rookie draft, yay or nay? Oh, I, 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 don't, I don't like it really. Mm. Like it, it's um, – so we're, at the moment we're in this real – development sort of pro- process of clubs realising that, oh, we, we should be working on our junior development pathways because they're actually really good sources of talent for the future. So we've got clubs building centres of excellence and stuff like that, finally realising after 120 years that, that young players are, are, are um, the way to go. So you've got that right. So they're setting up their own nurseries or farm systems that, to put it in a baseball term but and then you've got this other this argument about a, a rookie draft like I, I don't I don't understand how it would work like um, if you're a young player who hasn't been picked up by the club that you're involved with so your club 
hasn't selected you to to push through its system. What I, I don't understand how another club, what another club would see in that player. Like I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't understand. Like there's no. It, I, I think that, yeah, I, I just don't get it. Hmm. I, don't, it, I can't see it working. I don't see the mechanics. Like the wheels aren't, uh, the, the cogs aren't sort of connecting with each other. Like clubs have development systems to to bring up players to progress to first grade. Um, if you're not good enough to be held kept by your club, then putting yourself on a rookie draft list so that another club can 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 get you. I, I don't know. I don't know whether a, whether a club would want to go and take that sort of risk. That's just my my thoughts. Yeah. Well, the implication is is basically that if if you're going to have a rookie draft, you're you're basically kind of putting to the side the idea of the club development of talent. You're just yeah. creating a common base of uh, potential NRL players, and, and then you'd you'd pick from that. That's I, I can think. I get, that, can I get really? I'll just get really cynical for one second. Sure. Let's let's just let. Let's just hang out um, and see what comes out the back of the Panthers Academy and South Juniors systems, as Albie Tallarico will tell you. Mm. Like this is, it's just going to make clubs extremely lazy. Like <laughs> it just is. Like fundamentally, I think the reason kind of the draft has reared its head as an issue again is it's 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 the classic equalization problem. And we're beginning, we, as we saw through the season, like kind of like with the, the blowouts that were creeping in. And then, kind of, if you were to evaluate kind of any, um, I think, I think the Daily Telegraph did an exercise when they were rating like the top 50 players in the league. And I think they came away with something like 38 of the top 50 belonged to six clubs. You know, it's yeah. that we're beginning to see kind of concentrations uh, of talent in certain places. And then kind of, uh, and this ties directly back into this signing period, you know, the way the, you know, the salary cap is working in, in, on the ground in rugby league is, is not you know, serving the purpose that a lot of people think it does, which is to, you know, to equalize talent or to spread out talent. No, it's kind of just you know, exacerbating the inequalities kind of, uh, the, and not only that, the non-financial inequalities between clubs. Yeah, I think, you know, and it's interesting kind of that it comes from someone like Wayne Bennett, who's now engaged in an exercise where he's got kind of this, almost this, this kind of like fantasy scenario, this this clean sheet of paper in which he gets to build like a club with, with no kind of pre-existing kind of, uh, you know, wage liabilities on it, that he's looking for some degree of kind of control over the way kind of uh, young players enter the competition. Uh, the, the one thing that really intrigued me of all the things that, that Wayne said, which, and I, uh, which I think were, were very, very true. Uh, sorry, this, this point was very, very true. The NRL is kind of unique in that it has kind of a very strong salary cap and a strong salary cap system. I would argue it's, 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 it's a bit of a blunt salary cap system. It is strong, um, but they're probably the only it's it's probably the only kind of big money professional sport in the world that has a cap but no draft almost every other salary cap league in the world has a draft and the two really kind of work hand in hand 
It's very, it, 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 I think, you know, when I, when I hear these, these proposals for a draft bubble up, it kind of takes me back to uh, a point that, you know, kind of, I, I've been discussing this, wrote a story about it for, for Inside Sport back in the day with, with Aaron Scott. And we kind of, it was, uh, we kind of litigated this for hours trying to kind of put this, this code byline story out is that the league has a salary cap problem. And I think the way they're trying to kind of solve that problem now is with a draft because without it, I think the the cap is is sprung you know so many leaks that uh, what they're beginning to realize is that if you can't really control the way players enter the league and also cost control them as well, the cap kind of creates uh, kind of adverse situations, which is a, kind of a, a fancy way of saying that young players basically end up coming into the league overvalued. And if you do that, it's very hard to kind of structure a salary cap for, uh, for veteran players, players properly. And then we have this phenomenon where, yeah, you, you've got the situation in the league. And, uh, you know, having read many of these previews, these preview pieces of, of, the up, of this upcoming signing period, this phenomenon of certain clubs that have to pay overs where others do not, you know, that, um, you know, that is a source of inequality that is yeah, is going to bedevil the league, uh, and you know, if, if just leaving the system as is is just going to continue to create these uh, these situations down the line. <laughs> the only fair enough to all that, and that's all all well said. But like, how, how with the salary cap in the draft, how would you value somebody who is? In a draft, like mm. do, do they do, so so? Just say if, um, just say if uh, Tyrone May, right? He, Penrith have dumped him. I don't know if they have or not. But just in my weird example, okay, no other club has shown any real interest. So he's put himself up um, in in the draft. What's he worth? Like, because surely if he's put himself on in in a any sort of draft, surely he can't bargain with anybody can he mm. so is his so does, does each player in in the draft have a value of say one hundred and twenty thousand dollars and whoever gets him whichever club chooses him that's how much money gets in, taken out of their cap because i've taken him i don't understand yeah, how I mean, that, that would work that's left that's left a detail i mean uh you know you but that's can, a pretty big detail yeah well to, you like can, to do with the cap you can have a draft you can have a draft system in which uh in which value is 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 pegged to tiers. So, for example, if you know you're picked one, you get a certain value. If you're picked two, you get a certain value. Fair uh, alternatively, yeah. you can have a system in which you know you can let some so, you know, some market determination of the bargaining power, which is to say, well, you know, if if I'm the fifth pick, you know, uh, a fifth pick is kind of worth about this much. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, so, you know, the first pick will kind of set its value in any given time. And then, like the player manager will then kind of yeah kind of work his way back from that, and as the years go along like they'll they'll have a baseline like fifth picks have earned this and have have been this valuable like you know i mean we've evolved to the point where you know um there was a time kind of yeah uh you, you know draft picks could you know in in North American sports could freely negotiate uh, their deals, but you know they um they got out of control. Like, because potential was it was was always kind of yeah kind of you could extract more money with potential than with with actual performance. Uh, so it, we've kind of gone down this. We've evolved now down this path where 
uh, all values are, are really quite fixed. So, you know, if you're either the first pick in the NFL or in the NBA, you'll end up with so much. And then, you know, kind of further on, uh, down, uh, down the line. But yeah, so those, yeah, those, I, those are questions that are kind of to be worked out, you know, kind of uh, in terms of, yeah, th- those can be fit, you kind of, kind of be worked out as details. To, to me, the bigger question really is, you know, kind of working back towards principles, which is, you know, how much do you, res- you restrict the, ca- the, the, the capability of a player to go kind of where he wants to go? And then, yeah, kind of uh, what you are kind of alluding to the, the initial point you make, it is a tremendous disincentive uh, for clubs to develop talent if, you know, they know that, oh, this player might go into a draft system and then, you know, another, another club might pick him. You know, it basically is yeah. kind of, um, yeah, yeah, just, uh, you know, it, it kind of takes, you know, takes that entirely out of their hands. Oh, it, 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 it wouldn't worry a club like Penrith because mm. – they have labelled themselves as a development club, mm-hmm. but they put out a they put out one of those tear jerking um, sort of um, motivational video videos type thing in the lead up to the finals last year, where it went into how much Panthers is a development club, and you mightn't follow the players um, in our jersey, but just be careful because chances are one of them might be playing for your club, you know, later on. So I think I think they're fine with it. But, yeah, I see what you mean. Like, I mean, but it really just happens, doesn't it? Like, it happens both ways as well. Like, Reese Walsh got bought up and paid for, had his whole development as a club paid for by the Broncos. And then, yeah, he goes and signs with the Warriors. Um, not too sure who didn't want who there, but that's just the, the nature of it, isn't it? Mm. But, um, oh, yeah, it's it's hard. Like, you, if this if this is an argument going down the, the the way of whether or not we should have a salary cap, that that's that that's the wrong argument. I think you just have to have one. There's only so much TV money and revenue available in the game. You can't have clubs destroying themselves trying to keep up with the Roosters and. And, and Panthers and Storm is can't they'll, they'll kill themselves. Well, you've now kind of yeah arrived at a point I was kind of at where you know I was saying because I my most radical kind of thought is that I actually don't think you need a salary cap. Um, I think there are kind of alternative ways ways of doing it. Um, the, I guess the critical thing and and you you just made the point there that I think a lot of people often miss. Uh, there is actual a limit to uh, to the amount of money in the game, and and salary cap is doesn't exist uh, to to equalize a competition. It's the great fallacy that's been I think paraded around the sport for for quite a long time. What the salary mm. cap is there for is to make sure clubs don't spend themselves out of existence because they cannot Great. they cannot help themselves when you know when it's in front of them they they will always just overspend. And when you look at the nature of uh, of our teams. You know, they they kind of they evolved out of you know kind of membership based clubs, not kind of single owner franchises. So they're not terribly accountable financially. They tend to just <laughs> think, okay, let's just you know spend, and then we can kind of uh, I don't know, raise the money in the back end. We'll we'll charge more at the bar, or just raise kind of you know membership fees. But you <laughs> know, just to kind of take this back to to first principles um, a bit, here's a question for you. How equal should the competition be? How important 
is it for the NRL to be equalized? Because that seems to be the thing that, you know, people, yeah, the, the, the prior assumption that whenever these, these debates start is that, oh, yeah, the comp has to be equal and that's why we've got to spread out the talent. Um, if you start with that assumption, yes, I think the, the, the next the next point you have to make is that yes, you, you you should spread, you should find ways to effectively spread the talent. But I'm gonna, yeah, I want to attack the first premise. How, yeah, so how, what do you think? Like, what, uh, how equal should the comp be? It should be equal enough so that as many fans are interested mm. in in watching footy as as possible, um, and for as as much criticism as he got. For his time running the game, um, that that was David Gallup's um, big sort of selling point. Mm. He wanted he wanted fans to think every week that their team had had a, had a chance. Um, oh, how equal should it be? Um, should every club have a chance to win a premiership within a decade? <laughs> yeah, as a principle, they, yeah, yeah, that that'd be fair enough. But but then it comes to. I mean that that opens up another avenue, doesn't it? Of questioning, should should the and it's, this is Gus Gould's argument, yeah. should the top and successful teams be penalised yep. to help the bottom up? And that's that, that's a that, that's a um, argument that you use with education as well. Mm-hmm. Like, should we make should we make these tests easier to help the um, the kids at the bottom of the scale? And um, from, from from a fundamental sporting and competition point of view, it, there's no level to how even it should be. Like, um, I, I don't know, were, were people questioning this back in the 50s and 60s when the Dragons won 11 in a row? Like, w- w- was that an argument? Like, this isn't fair, mm-hmm. the Dragons are too good? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I don't, but personally, I don't really care how even the comp is. Like, it, it's just, it's, just the rugby league and Australian way that you're going to get the teams at the top, like your Roosters and Panthers um, and Storm. They're all cheats. It's just <laughs> they are. Penrith, are, apparently all the pen, all referees come out of the Penrith District Junior Referees Association, so you've got a steamboat ride through and the Roosters with their cap and Melbourne with their wrestling and, and, um, and, and oh, they did actually get busted for, for caps for, for cap um, penalties. So, yeah, I don't know, mate. How even should it be? Um, if it was, if it, if if the main aim of the game was to keep the comp even, you'd have to wonder what that would do to interest going the other way, wouldn't you? Like, mm. if you knew that your team was going to win every ten years, and oh, we'll just wait, we'll just hang around and wait. Exactly. You know, I, I, I don't know what that, what that would do to the to the organic nature of the comp, like, um, and, and, and also too with the, it's, it's ha- having a completely evil, um, even playing field is never going to happen as far as um, player recruitment and, 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 and buying and selling of players. Cause as we've mentioned on this podcast many times, um, the roosters and the Raiders are two completely separate options for a young player um, you know, considering his next deal, um, the Raiders are going to have to throw three or four hundred more grand at a player to go and play with them, uh, and play in the cold, and probably have to relocate their young family. And mm. whereas if you're at the Roosters, they're in the middle of Sydney. How good's this? Yeah. 
you know, the Joseph Ma- the, yeah, the Joseph Manu situation right now. He's going to take yeah, exactly. um, yeah, it's a million dollars in New Zealand versus eight hundred and fifty thousand, you know, in Bondi. That's yeah, it says everything yeah. really. It does, it does, and and we're not talking about enough money to really sway decisions yet. Mm. Um, maybe if the cap was worth fifty or sixty million, you know, that might play a a bit the Raiders might have a bit more of a chance then, but mm-hmm. at the moment, like it's it's just not gonna happen. Like it's not even, you know, you got Sydney. The, the game isn't the, the the competition isn't even. It's it's just not. You got you got Penrith's newly found, newly developed well of juniors where they, they just get so many players coming through their system. Um that's through their own doing though. So they had to put themselves on, on the back foot for Best part of a decade while they organise that, and Sydney's Roosters are in a good spot. Melbourne's down where they are; they're in a really good spot because players are un, unrecognised. Um, every every club has its own appeal, doesn't it? Mm. Um, and and, that, and that's actually a good part of the game, I reckon. Yeah, uh, it's it's hard it just as it, kind of to tie the question to the overall popularity of a sport because. You know, you can really draw from either column A or column B because the two most popular kind of football leagues in the world, you've kind of provide a model. You've got, you know, the English Premier League, which is grossly unequal and still, you know, hugely popular. And you've got the NFL, which is highly equalized <laughs> and still very popular. So you can, you can really choose, you know, either, you know, either example. And again, kind of, yeah, um, I, uh, my, my lean would be, I think, I think it kind of reaches a, a bit into Australian egalitarianism. This, this, and that's why I think we make the prior assumption that we want an equal competition. But, you know, uh, just to put, uh, kind of, uh, a couple more questions to you on this on on this subject, James. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, kind of emanates out of this, as we've as we've talked about, is is the disincentive to clubs doing um, doing junior development. Um, should there you know should there be a draft system? But again, to kind of uh, kind of take the the question a step back a bit, it, it kind of got me to thinking as I was kind of circulating around these debates. Is you know, firstly. Uh, you know, should clubs be involved in junior development? Should they? Yeah. Well, it's a very valid. They- you know, it's it's a hugely valid question. Like I hadn't really thought about it in regards because it seems it is such a it's been such a part of you know the game historically, and that that really is it's a historical artifact. These used to be kind of community clubs, and naturally, if you wanted to go and play the sport, you'd go to the club. But you know now they're you know very you know they're professional entities like you know it, it, their incentives you know don't really aren't necessarily sometimes they are but they aren't necessarily aligned with the business of young people you know coming to play kind of the sport you know to participate in the sport yeah so because you know that that would be the first part of the question the second part of the question was absent a draft like. Yeah, and say okay, we don't want this. We don't want to have to move players away from home. We don't want to, you know, kind of, you know, um, kind of limit their their ability to choose where they want to play. Because the next implication that seems very natural to me is, why don't you equalize the junior development areas? Because that seems to be another big problem. The big problem is, is that you know, 
you know, there will always be inequalities, as you say. And, and play, you know, I, I wanted to get you, sound you out on this because, you know, Penrith is about as rich a place <laughs> as you can find rugby league talent anywhere. And, you know, they extend right out into the West. You're um, where it's, you know, Dubbo is one, isn't it? Tamworth uh, is another. Uh yeah, would you, you know, would you kind of look at equalizing kind of the equalizing the junior areas as a way of trying to bring a quality that, you know, if you know, that would kind of obviate the need for a draft? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. So return, the to, is- return to the prior, prior question. Do you think kind of the, the now professional clubs of the NRL should be involved. There is an argument to be made there that, you know, that this should be the province of, of the RLC, that they should just take it over and it really shouldn't be branded through the clubs at all. Oh, that'd be, that'd be the, um, the better way to go. Mm. I've, I've often thought that clubs should, they really should be adopting swathes of, of um, country leagues and, and all that sort of, there's so like and the other argument is um about doing enough for country areas and grassroots the the, the NRL clubs should be doing far more than than what they are like mm. if i was a ceo of a club i'd i'd sit down with the board and i'd say look listen why don't we start doing what penrith did and why don't we claim tamworth to be ours or you know as an example like the tigers have done why don't we go you know whoever owns Port Macquarie, like, why don't we sort of start reaching into that? But do you yeah. trust, do you trust the management of clubs to do that? They strike me as kind of, you know, kind of erratic in their level of commitment and their ability to raise the money to be able to do it, you know? And that's, yeah. and- to me, that's going to be always the lasting source of, like the most basic inequality in, in, in the league is baked into its DNA, which is you've got a whole bunch of clubs that, you know, cover just suburbs in Sydney and a whole bunch of clubs that have much, much larger areas even even within Sydney, like you know, that's you know, so. Uh, yeah, I, you have to you have to be really patient as a board. You have to do what the Panthers board did, mm. and just say, look, li- 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 listen, we've got a lean decade ahead of us. What we're going to do is not going to win us premierships for now. Like we would, you got to. I, I I love using the steam train analogy. It's like trying to stop a steam train it takes a long time. Um, you got to really start to pull the brakes a lot. Um, further out from from your target but when you stop you have to just reset and just start slowly back up again whereas clubs club and their board clubs and their boards they don't want to wait for success like that's the worst thing that can happen to a board is to finish in the bottom three or four like that's absolute failure whereas if you're a smart club you would start to plan these things a decade or or two in advance but yeah it's it's difficult i I just want to go back to that cheeky answer that i gave it's funny though that this is only considered a massive advantage for Penrith because they're playing and doing so well at the moment. Mm. Penrith have always had a lot of juniors, a lot. Like even before they hooked up with um with those regional areas at the back of the Blue Mountains, they've always had ten thousand juniors. We've only won three premierships in the last 30, 30 years. Yeah, so it's not it's not the be all and end all of success. Like you still have Certainly to. Not. You still have to do that part of your club properly, mm. yeah. So it's not, you know, that's it's it's, yeah, it's just considered an unfair advantage now because a club has really worked out how to do it properly. Yeah. In in some respects, though, it uses a bit of a cudgel against against the idea of a draft. I mean, there's certainly more. Uh, it certainly is not a linear relationship. You look at two clubs, you know, in in Melbourne and 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 uh, and Easts. 
in the storm and roosters that yeah don't have large junior systems at all and have you know have you know kind of been the most successful clubs of the last uh the last decade plus so and, yeah and, and, and just and just and just on that mm. people talk about the the roosters crowds and that kind of thing and then you asked should clubs have junior development the, looking at the roosters the answer is yes because Run, ha, like having a, a junior development system does so much for community involvement in, in your club. You know, you, that the local kids get to go up through the grades and just does so much for for a club's sort of grassroots base. Mm. Whereas if you're just a, a franchise, like, I don't know, just say you're the Sydney Kings and you're competing in the NRL with no junior development or anything, like, <laughs> you, you just got, there's no, no base un, 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 underneath you. You just... Cheering for a bunch of men, basically. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I think I'm, I've become a bit of a skeptic on whether the clubs should be heavily involved at the junior level, or at least an entity of the club that is directly related to the the NRL side. So, if you were to consider yeah. South yeah. Juniors as a separate entity, maybe that that makes sense to me. But uh, oh, that's the perfect working model for sure. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it, it, it implies its own problems, but you know, oh, it does, yeah. I, I do, I, I, I do wonder whether if you are going to talk about it from an equalization perspective, you are just going to have clubs that do not have the base, and and because of that, you know, you are you're, you're going to end up, and that's why I guess I, I return to that original question: how much you know, kind of equalization do we want? And uh, then you know, you stick kind of a, a cap on top of that. Yeah, I think the the cap is asked to carry too much weight, but um, yeah, probably something. Yeah, plenty to talk about, more to talk about. I think the one thing that, I, like I said, I, I'm, I find myself a bit agnostic on this. The one thing I do like about the rookie draft is, you know, and you know, I'm betraying my kind of my my real loyalties as kind of a content guy, which is to say, a rookie draft produces content. Like it's, it's it's something to talk about, and it's you know it's it's endless kind of like media fodder, yeah, you know, all year yeah. and, and into the future. So for, just for that reason alone, uh, and th- this is kind of my way of uh, getting to our honesty session this week, because um, which is to talk about some of the the great kind of league rookies in the past that have gotten us excited. I, I think one thing that about league that uh, I find different to other sports is that you know I find myself not so often expecting a guy coming into the league when i when i kind of consider this question for myself i was thinking all of them have been kind of surprises to me they've emerged kind of out of nowhere because players really don't get built up before they enter the nrl unless you're some kind of you know under 20s tragic um about the only guy who you know kind of really jumped out to me because you know i i, I love everything about Payne haas <laughs> before <laughs> yeah. he, he got into the league so that guy kind of would be uh, one for me um but yeah, it. Um, I think if you have a draft, I mean, these guys would uh, would kind of come in with a bigger profile. Not that that's the purpose of the draft, but uh, uh, I was curious uh, to to hear James uh, about some of the names that uh, came up from our from our listeners, uh, kind of first year kind of tyros that uh, set the league alight and who their favourites were. Yeah, just um, all, all sorts of great um, suggestions we got this week. Um, and the, the question was for an honesty session: Who's your all time favourite league rookie? And what do you remember most about their entry into first grade footy? Um, I wanted to read this bloke's entry out first, our League Freak from uh, Fergo and the Freak Pod, a great podcast. And incidentally, one of their first podcasts was they absolutely dismantled the rugby league, the idea of a rugby league draft. It's really got to be listened to. It is, it is brilliant. You, you listen to that and then you just have no 
no doubt that we really shouldn't have one. They they really ran it through the gauntlet. They boiled it down. They, it's a terrific um, episode. So um, League Freak says uh, has got to be Benji Marshall, a teenage touch footy player who looked like a uh, touch, a touch footy player um, and immediately bamboozled the opposition. We'll never forget his debut. Um, Dan, uh, the Sportress, says Ruben Wiki in 94. Uh, didn't quite count because he played three games in 93. Oh, that's all right. It was just a bit of a loose sort of loose uh, uh, framework for the question. Uh, but the way he came in, uh, like a new Mal in 94, that mix of agility and power, it was so exciting. I forgot about Ruben Wiki. Like, he played for so long. Yeah. It was no, actually, but I, I, I actually remember him as a rookie. Like one of the yeah. th- one that I was casting in my mind to an act, I actually had to go back into the record too. Brett Mullins came up around that time and had fairly immediate success as well. So yeah, you know, so it was you know the, the Raiders already had that you know that that legendary core of guys, and then <laughs> these brilliant yeah young guys come into the team. It was like yeah, kind of uh, made your eyes bug out a bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jay Dwight um, says uh, John Ferguson for the Mighty Jets in 1980 mm-hmm. debuted at age 26 um, uh, with stories. Um, he was really up to 10 years older. <laughs> uh, his speed and elusiveness were great to watch, adding flair to an improved team. Um, then such a memorable part of the great 81 season. Um, uh, what a character. Uh, Dominic Pisano. Uh, says uh, would have to be Chris Sandow in two thousand eight. Yeah, there's one. Yeah. yeah, just just his natural instinct, chip and chase, and tenacity, excitement and en- energy, a joy to watch. Great suggestion there. Uh, last trade warrior says uh, not quite first grade entry at the time, but Alfie's Queensland debut as a rookie uh, was an unforgettable one. I'll never forget that. Everyone thought, "Who's this little kid? He's just going to get destroyed out there." And he ended up being Alan Langer. Um, amazing. Uh, Brendan Bradford says 2011 Sean Johnson was epic. Most memorable moment was the solo try he scored against the Broncos at Suncorp. I remember that one. That was, wow, Sean Johnson. Uh, Albie Tellerico from Still Sports says Isaiah Yo uh, gradually did his apprenticeship, but he's a leader like his father. Um, that's good, Albie. Uh, Stu McLennan, uh, Benny Elias. Killed it as, at schoolboy level for Holy Cross, yeah. Uh, every supporter at Leichhardt knew he was destined for big things, even when playing reserve grade. See, that's the beauty. You've got to have a club so you can watch these players come up. Um, despite off-field issues, um, there was never any doubting his talent and competitiveness. Changed the hooker role. Um, yeah, no, that's great. Um, thanks, Disco, for that one. Uh, Patrick Skenny, um, Freddie Fitler. Fearless teenager with a sidestep uh, from another planet that would do fullbacks cold every time he touched the ball. He was exciting. I'll, I'll never, I'll, I'll never forget his second second game. I think it was he he he'd come on. I think for 10, 10 minutes a week before in the game, um, and living at Penrith, we're, like we we didn't go to away games. You, you just didn't. It just you know Sydney is was a lot bigger place back then. It, Took forever to get places, and one day, Dad's this is in eighty um, nine, I think it was nineteen eighty nine. He said, um, "Why don't we go to Arana Park and watch this um, this kid, um, Brad Fitler?" And oh, I've got goosebumps 
um, now. Like this, Freddie was, he was a player that you could see coming from a mile away. Mm. He finally cracked it for first grade and, yeah, just three three humans getting into a car and travelling from Penrith to Campbelltown just to watch a young kid play. It's, uh, there you go. <laughs> um, so Davo FB says, uh, Amos Roberts, uh, the Dragons trounced the Warriors at win and he scored a million points. Still a red V record, I think. Uh, no one's going to beat a million. That's pretty, pretty <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, that big ref, um, Benji Marshall. Uh, I was at his debut on the way to the game. They announced on the radio it was a late entry into the side versus Newcastle at Campbelltown. I just knew he was going to be something special. Must be something in the in the soil at Campbelltown, which uh, <laughs> brings out these young kids. Yes, uh, deep long stop. Yeah, deep long stop says uh, Ewan McGrady was a wild, wild ride. Electric combo with Lamb, but struggled with a tackle. Um, he's <laughs> another one too. Yeah, Ewan favorite McGrady. of mine, as I mentioned before. Yeah. Did he win a Rothmans or a Dallas? Yeah, him? yeah it was a Rothmans. Rothmans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was he a bit uh, older, though, when he was a rookie? I, I, got, I got the impression that, yeah, he was uh, it was a bit more mature yeah, age, kind of like a, almost like a Cody Walker type. I don't know, mate. Uh, yeah. And I remember the way he disappeared from the game as well. He just disappeared. Yeah. Um, Pursuit says uh, Richie Williams debuted for the Dragons in 07 and set a trend that would take the league world by storm years later. <laughs> Publicly sledging Braithanasta, he means. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, Rue Star. Flau, of course. Uh, he was an absolute beast, mm. a sensation. Yeah. He destroyed everyone he came up against, debuting as a 17 year old kid, scored multi doubles and, and a triple, finished off the year as top try scorer. He was a supercharged Malmeninga. He was special. The, the main thing I've. My big memory from Folau is I, I interviewed him for Inside Sport once. Yeah. Came out to Centennial Park and the interview went for about three quarters of an hour and all he did was look at my hair. It was, it was so distracting. It was just like I must have had it spiked up or something at the time and he just kept looking at it. <laughs> it was against his religion. Mm. <laughs> oh, um, I, I, a- I will, having just said that, I, I will say one other thing. Um uh, I guess I have had the privilege of meeting yeah, a lot of kind of great sports people in, in my career. Israel Folau is probably the most impressive physical specimen I've ever met. Like I was like looking really? at him and think, yeah, I was thinking, geez, you, you are you are in the, from another planet. <laughs> we, are, <laughs> we are not the same species. He was so impressive that you know, you know, in how you know just how powerful he looked. I was like, wow, it was yeah, that one you know, lodged in the memory. Yeah, it was a bit older than a rookie by then. I must must be said. Yeah. He was actually playing Union by then, so, you know, disappoint. Sorry to disappoint people. (laughs) Dominating Union. Um, uh, New Newey footy fan says, can't go past Joey's first full season as a starter in 94. Uh, Club record 23 points in round one. Uh, I love Joey so much. (laughs) Yeah, we we just forgot about Joey. It's just, you know, forgot about when when the Immortals started playing. Uh, Tiger 2047 says, James Tedesco. I remember watching his debut from the hill at Leichhardt and the whole place rejoiced that we finally had a fullback, um, only for him to get a season-ending <laughs> injury. <laughs> that same game, was such a Balmain Tigers, West Tigers thing to happen. Mm. Uh, he returned the following year and had an outstanding individual season. Thanks, Tiger. Very good. And finally, out of our league, 
very funny, popular Twitter account out there. RTS was really exciting for me. Had great hype about him coming from a union background and lived up to it with lots of freaky skill and potential. His arrival to first grade also happened to be just at the start of a Roosters' new era of success. Indeed. That's um, correct. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about yeah, it that it could way. Al- almost be married up. Yeah. It's um, a good point um, out of our league. Good stuff. And that's it, mate. Um, I just I forgot about nearly all of those players. I thought they'd be all about Brad Fittler and, <laughs> you know, I'd be, I'd be gushing about Freddie's start and all that kind of thing, but it's just... This depends. I love with these answers, everyone has a different lens that they see life through and, mm. and it really comes out every week. So there you go. We've got to, that's why you need clubs, mate. That's why you need junior development. So oh, like I, that can, I don't keep dis- coming through. I don't disagree. I'm just not sure the clubs are the one to do it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that's the skepticism. That's kind of the eye opener <laughs> that's, that's been provided to me. So go up and say to the clubs, we don't think we sh- you should be running clubs. <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think the entities that run uh, NRL teams like so like the the, the you know that uh, I I'm just very skeptical that um, yeah NRL clubs need centers of excellence things like that that's that's you know if you want an entity called the Penrith Panthers that runs rugby league in in the vicinity of Penrith that's fine but what they have to do with kind of the the the, the team that runs onto the paddock in the NRL that. Doesn't strike me as yeah, kind of. Uh, it might have made sense back in the time, as we were alluding to talking uh, when you mentioned your uh, big league uh, uh, back in the time when they were kind of community-based clubs. But yeah, now I think the if what they want to achieve with the league is what they want to achieve with the league, I just I don't see kind of the connection as uh, as being one that's uh, that's kind of yeah natural. I don't know. Like I said, I I, I could Not be I, I'm convinced. Point. In, in multiple different dire- uh, directions on this. Actually, we have to bring this to a swift conclusion, but uh, I just want a uh, uh, last thing to mention before we head out. Um, I think we were on the verge uh, uh, last week, uh, last week, our last recording. Um, the Matt Cleary's book about the Canberra Raiders had been raising money, uh, the milk had been raising money through a Kickstarter campaign. I think they're on the, urge, on the verge of getting there the last time we recorded and can happily report this time around it has met his goal. Or met its goal, so yeah, that uh, that's going to get up. I know some several of you uh, listeners out there have uh, have supported uh, that project, uh, uh, and uh, that is great news because uh, yeah, it um, uh, as I've kind of men- mentioned copious times before, I think this is the book Matt was meant to write. So <laughs> yeah, uh, for for yeah for Raiders fans particularly, but just anyone with an interest in league, uh, I, I think this will be a great read. So no pressure, Matt. Just uh, just <laughs> put you up to it there, uh, James. Anything yeah. from you uh, as we uh, as we head out? I don't think so, mate. Um, I think we've covered it all for for the moment. Oh, um, just a, a quick note about that. Um, keep hearing about November twenty for the for the Panthers uh, victory parade and whatever whatever else is happening. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be heading out, so it'd be nice to meet some Panthers fans out there. If um if uh yeah maybe something can be organised for a beer at the club, um that that'd be good. But yeah, finally, so glad that we get to celebrate it properly as a as a big fan base. Um, Oh, so exciting! And Still if, feels good. Even if you're a Panthers hater, show up. James will uh, will be civil to you <laughs> as, too as well. Yeah, he doesn't oh, discriminate in those regards. Anyway, yeah, uh, I'm gonna get yeah, 
Sorry. Yep. Get get the trophy, break it, you know, all that sort of stuff that parents people do. <laughs> Should be uh, fun. Sounds really good. All right. Uh, thanks again, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks, James.